0: Good morning, everybody. I tell you what, I want you to turn to people around you and just say, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) Some of you aren't so sure about that. (laughs) We're going to go into it. I want to invite you to join us in 21 Days of Prayer. And I'd like to begin this morning with a prayer poll a prayer survey. So I've got several questions I I want to ask. How many of you have prayed a lot of prayers in your lifetime? May I see your hands? you prayed a lot of prayers. Thank you. How many of you have a prayer request before God right now? Something you're praying about. Thank you. Something you want God to do, somewhere you want Him to move in your life. How many of you would say, sometimes prayer is difficult for me? May I see your hands. You get up in the morning (laughs) And there's no angel to fist bump you or pat you on the back and say, boy!" and you begin trying to pray, and it's like everything in the universe has turned against you. Your phone starts dinging with messages you have to attend to right now. Or you glance at the ceiling fan and, boy, there's a lot of dust on that fan. I've got to clean it right now. It's like every—how many of you have ever dealt with distractions when you've tried to pray? Mess? your hands. Yeah, it's like the entire universe is—I have a friend who says— when he tries to pray, his thoughts are like monkeys jumping around trees. It's a pretty apt description of me so often. How many of you have prayed in the middle of a crisis? You know, that's typically when we pray, when things are desperate. And God invites us in His grace and His love and mercy to come to Him in a crisis. Years ago, after an automobile accident, my wife and I were both in the hospital, and the nurses were having a hard time getting. IVs injected into her arm, and they tried, and she was crying, and there were bruises, and it was just one of those really hard times. I happened to be in the same room, and I had just read Psalm 5015, and in prayer, I claimed it in a time of a crisis. Neither of us had slept for several days. I claimed Psalm 5015. I want you to repeat it after me. The Lord says, call to me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. And you, and you will glorify me. Psalm fifty fifteen. Call to me in the day of trouble. I day of trouble. And I will deliver you. And, will deliver you. and you, will you will glorify me. And those promises are given to encourage us when it looks like the wheels are coming off and we're headed to a ditch in our families, in our health, people care about our finances at, at work. And the Lord just invites us to come to him in a crisis. So I've got one last question, and this is not a raise your hand. What happens to our prayers? What happens to the millions and millions and millions of prayers that have been prayed for 2,000 years all over the world by believers? Where do they go? Do they kind of go into an abyss? Or are they just in the air? Where do those prayers go? What happens to them? What happens to prayers that are not answered? I think if we took a hand raise here, most of us would raise our hand and say, I've had prayers I was very serious about, and they were not answered. And sometimes the fact that we don't get our prayers answered causes us to become a little cynical, a little skeptical. And we begin to say, well, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe the Lord is angry with me right now. And you wonder if it does any good to pray. You get enough unanswered prayers and you begin to think, maybe this is not as important as I keep hearing. And then you're afraid to pray again because you don't want to lose your faith. Because you're not getting what you feel like that you need. And if you do get an answered prayer, you say, well, it, it, it would have happened anyway. I mean, good things happen from time to time. And we tend to keep those thoughts to ourselves because we don't want to appear to be bad Christians. And our hearts begin to shrink and our hearts begin to get a little cold, and we become fairly cynical, and sometimes we just give up in prayer. Or we say, well, God is sovereign, and God's going to do what God's going to do. So why pray? Because God is sovereign, and he has things foreordained, and does it really matter? So here's the question. Where do your prayers go? Do your prayers really matter? I want to ask you to take a Bible, if you would, and go to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8, because this text answers the question, where do our prayers go and why do they even matter in the first place? This was written, Revelation was written by the apostle John near the end of his life, some nameless bureaucrat in the Roman Empire had decided that the apostle John at the end of his life is going to spend the rest of his life on this rocky island. that's a prison colony out in the Mediterranean. So there he is. He's an old man and life is really hard and he's away from friends. He's away from family. He's away from the churches that he loves. And John is highly relational. How did he keep from going crazy? And he tells us in chapter one of Revelation, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was praying. And it was prayer that kept him sane during that terrible time. What happened to his prayers? And all the people, the friends, the family members, the churches that were praying for him, what happened to those prayers? Or let's expand it. What happened to the prayers that Noah prayed, and Abraham prayed, and Daniel prayed, and Joseph prayed, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, joshua then you move into the first century and the christians who were being thrown into the arenas to be attacked by wild animals and they're praying what happened to their prayers and all the christians who were martyred in that first and second century what happened to their prayers the millions and millions and millions of prayers throughout all the last two or three thousand years from people all over the world where did those prayers go what happened to them People who prayed, Your kingdom come, hallowed be Your name, Your will be done. What happened to those prayers? Look at Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, if you read anything about heaven, it's a noisy place. People are praising God. The angels are shouting, and God shuts it all down, and it's silence. You can hear crickets in heaven for a half hour. Then, verse 2, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. A censer was kind of like a shovel that they put coals in and incense in to Feed the fire on top of the altar. An angel with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning and an earthquake. And what we have in this text is an explanation of what has happened to all the prayers that all of us have prayed and millions and millions of Christians have prayed. John has this vision. He sees the throne room of God and he sees prayers accumulating, piling up on top of the altar in heaven. And he sees the fire of God and it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter And he sees the prayers of all of God's people accumulating, mounting up on the altar. And then God sees the prayers, calls an angel. Hey, Gabriel, Michael, I want you to take these prayers mixed with my fire and I want you to throw them out, make something happen on the earth. Answer these prayers. And what we have in this text is absolutely mind-boggling. The role that our prayers pray in accomplishing the purpose of God, in bringing in the end. This text says that our prayers are the instruments, the means God uses to usher in His plan, His divine judgments, the advancing of His kingdom. He begins by talking about seven seals. You say, what is the seventh seal was open? What what is that? And if you would turn back to Revelation 5 for just a moment, see what's going on. He says in Revelation 5, 1, I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So once again, John's seeing this vision of the throne of God and a scroll written within and on the back seal with seven seals. So he sees this long piece of parchment or paper and it's been rolled up And the way that it stays uh, rolled is there are seven pieces of wax with a stamp on each one of them, keeping this scroll from unrolling. You say, what is that scroll? It is God's plan for the future. It is God's purpose and his will for events right up to the end of time. It's the history of our world before it happened. And it's been written down. Verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice, who's worthy to open that scroll and break its seals? Who is worthy to wrap up history? And no one in heaven on earth or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. John just is tearing up because he's not going to be able to see what God's will is, God's plan, God's purpose. It's not on the screen, but I want to read verse 6 and 7. And then between behind, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Now, he just said in verse 5, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered. He can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been, had been slain For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. God's will was that his son administrate the events leading right up to the end of time. And he's the only one worthy of doing that. Because he gave his life on the cross to ransom and save people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation. The only one worthy. And he says, because he died, that the prayers of the saints somehow are involved in what God is going to do through to the, toward the end of time. Because he was slain. The cross is the key to understanding history. The cross is the key to understanding what's going to happen uh, toward the end. And we are called a kingdom of priests. And what do priests do? Priests pray. Priests stand between God and other people. And they bring the needs of people to God, and they bring God's Word to people. And He has made us a kingdom of priests. And so Jesus starts to take the seals off. And what begins to happen on earth are things like war and famine and disease. And Christians are persecuted and dying. All of the kinds of things that Jesus called the birth pangs, the beginning of birth pangs. In Mark chapter 13, he said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places, famines, just the beginning of birth pangs. That's characteristics of the age we live in. It's like COVID. Jesus is right now opening the seals. Now go back to chapter 8 verse 1. So we know what the scroll is. The Lamb opened the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Why? Why does heaven come to a standstill? That last seal has been broken. The scroll is beginning to open. The events toward the end, God's purposes in this world. Why silence? God is showing us something About our place, our role that we have to play in what is happening today and it will happen in the future. Verse 2, he says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. It's like heaven goes silent so they can listen to our prayers which tells me our prayers are precious to God. Even the prayers where we stumble and bumble and we groan and we don't know exactly what to say or how to say it and we feel so embarrassed. Our prayers are precious and heaven goes quiet. Somebody's praying. Somebody's praying. And he says it's the prayers of all the saints. I guess that includes all of us. And if you're not sure you'll call yourself a saint... Right after the service, if you'll come down, one of the prayer team will install you into sainthood. Right here. Tell you how to become a saint. Your prayers made in Jesus' name are piling up on the altar. Your prayers for His kingdom to come are accumulating on the altar. When you pray the things that move the heart of Jesus, when you pray the things that will advance the kingdom of God, those prayers make it to heaven from all over the world, from all time and they're piling up on the altar. That's where prayers go. When you pray, your prayer goes before the very throne of God and is piling up on the altar. You know, if human beings could invent microchips that can hold millions of bytes of data, God has no problem remembering prayers. God has no problem um, recording prayers, keeping them in mind. And the question is, what does God do with all those prayers? They're piling up. What does he do with them? When the time is right, he sends an angel to mix heavenly incense, the symbol of his presence, with the prayers. Verse 5 says, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it on the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes of lightning, an earthquake. All those things are symbols of God's presence. I think the point is unmistakable. Our prayers, interpreted by the Holy Spirit, conformed by the Spirit to the will of God, are poured out on the earth. In other words, our prayers execute the will of God on earth. What you pray in your heart, what you pray in your lips, regardless of how you pray, you kneel, you open your eyes, you close your eyes, you're driving, you raise your hands. However, whatever you pray, your prayers are used by God as the instrument to execute His purposes, His will. It just blows me away. My prayers, your prayers, are what God uses in His redemptive plan, which means that not one God-exalting prayer is in vain. Not one faith-filled prayer is in vain. Heaven comes to a standstill, and not a prayer is ignored. Not a prayer is lost. Not a prayer is forgotten. No prayer is pointless. God uses our prayers to powerfully intervene in the world. And he mixes them with his fire. And you say, well, I'm such a sinful person, and how could God use my stumbling prayers? Because I even have mixed motives when I pray. How could you? The prayers are mixed with fire. And if you remember what happened over in the Old Testament in Isaiah, Isaiah said, I'm, I'm an unclean person. My lips are unclean. Woe is me. And an angel took a cold from the fire of the altar and touched his lips saying, this has purified you. God purifies through Jesus God purifies our prayers. God cleanses our prayers. God makes our prayers the instruments that He can use to accomplish His will on earth. He intervenes by means of our prayers. Which means our prayers are not only precious to God, they're powerful. Listen to what one writer said. The fires come from the very altar on which the prayers of the saints have been offered. This surely means that the prayers of God's people play a necessary part in ushering in the judgments of God What are the real master powers behind the world? And what are the deeper secrets of our destiny? Here's the astonishing answer. The prayers of the saints and the fire of God. This means that more potent, more powerful than all the dark and mighty powers let loose in the world, more powerful than anything else is the power of prayer set ablaze by the fire of God and cast upon the earth. There's a Scottish preacher named Alexander White who called this the dignity of causation. God dignifies you and me by making our prayers the cause of his will being done on earth. That's just a mind-blowing thought to me. And I could really go off on a tangent right now. Well, how do you, how do you, how do you correspond? How do you understand the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and where do they intersect? And the answer is, I don't know. And you don't know either. And we may never fully understand that because we don't have the infinite mind of God. But one thing is crystal clear. God uses our prayers to accomplish what He has already ordained. Your prayers are powerful because of His grace. So when you pray, that's where your prayers go. And that's how God uses them. You say, well, why doesn't God just do things Himself? Well, it's because two reasons. One is He loves to work through people. And second, He's a Father. And like fathers, we want our children near to us. We want our children showing up. And we want our children talking with us and corresponding and, and asking us things. And he is that kind of a father. Do you realize, friends, God not only loves you, he likes you. Did you know that? God delights in you like a father. You say, where is that in Scripture? Psalm thirty-five twenty-seven, Psalm thirty-seven twenty-three, Isaiah 62, 4. He delights in you. In my daughter's house over in Arkansas is a picture that Eloise, Eloise, our little granddaughter, who died at age nine, she drew this little picture with crayons at age seven. And the words are misspelled. And you can hardly see what's going on in the picture. And we wouldn't take a million dollars for that picture. It is precious to us. And in the same way, your prayers are precious to God. And because of Jesus, he delights, he likes you And he wants to use your prayers and my prayers as the means by which he accomplishes his will. They're more precious than we know to the Lord. Your prayers are his means of mercifully calling people to repentance. I say that because he talks about these angels get the trumpets. You know what a trumpet was used for in the Old Testament? It was used to announce something or to warn people. And all the things that begin to happen as those angels blow the trumpets, all the natural disasters begin to happen, are God's ways of warning people this is the time to get right with me. This is the time to turn from your sins. And our prayers are involved in that. We don't know who might be healed as a result of 21 days of prayer, we don't know who might come to Christ because our prayers have been on the altar and God has used them to draw someone to himself. We don't know how many wayward children could be turned back to him as we pray in 21 days of prayer. And by the way, if you're here or you're online listening and you know about Jesus, but you've been messing with God, you just need to understand, you don't have all the time in the world. You have no guarantee you'll you'll have tomorrow. Maybe COVID is God's trumpet blast. Maybe it's his warning. Maybe the fires in Colorado were his warning to folks who are there. His wake-up call. And I would just encourage you, if you've never turned from your sins, and placed your faith in Christ, do that today. Well, how do prayers figure into all this? I don't know how God takes prayers that are mounting up, and, but he uses them. I was talking to my son, Joey, last night. He said, Dad, what are you preaching on? And I told him the text, and he read it, and he said, He said, let me tell you a couple of stories. He said, back in 2004, he and his wife, Crystal, were praying for Indonesia. January 2004, December 2004, the tsunami hit Indonesia. And many people came to Christ. He said, I prayed for Gaddafi to be either killed or taken out. One month later, he was caught and killed. And Joey said... Dad, you can draw a cosmic line from my prayers to what happened in Libya. He said, "I'll tell you one more story, Dad." They moved into the immigrant community in Barcelona, and they're putting their kids in school. They got three boys, and the school told them, "We've got room for your two boys, but we have no room for one of your sons, for Evan. We have no room for him at all." So Joey said, "This has got, this is we, we've got to have our son educated." And, um, So he got the boys and said, we're going to march around the school like they marched around Jericho. We're going to walk around, and we're going to pray. And at that time, the boys were into Hulk. So he said, we're going to pray. God will Hulk smash the school. All right? So they're walking around. And he said, when they finished the walk, an administrator came out the door of the school and said, Mr. Shaw, a place has opened up for your son. If we put a microphone down here in front... Dozens of you could come and tell stories like this. When we pray, things happen in God's time and in God's way. Things happen. You say, Well, how do they happen? What does God do with our prayers? He answers some of them quickly. Some prayers take a matter, it's a matter of timing. We're not ready, or the thing we're praying about is not ready. And sometimes God just says, I've got something better for you. But here's the summary of the entire message. It's what Jesus said. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. Don't stop praying. And I want to end the message by asking you to watch a video that I think will drive the point home far better than I can. So watch this video.
1: But in closing, let me just tell you the last, some of the last lessons I've learned about this wonderful truth, because I'm not trying to preach down to anyone. I'm preaching to myself as I'm talking to you about eight or nine years ago. My daughter who is here today, she got away from us. She got away from not only us, she got away from God. She got away from our house. And my wife and I went through a two-and-a-half-year-long nightmare that I don't want to go into. But I promised God, as I was getting at the end of it, that it, as he brought me through it, that wherever I got a chance, I promised God no matter how hard it would be, as he's my witness today, no matter how hard it would be, I would tell people what God does in answer to prayer. You know what the feeling is not to know where your daughter is? when that She grew up as a model child. I have two other children. Chrissy's now... 25 I have a daughter 21 and a boy 18, but at that time Chrissy was about 17 18 and it it was I'm talking nightmare I'm talking about getting in my car and leaving my house to go to the church in the inner city where where I'm gonna face you know 10 new people who visit who are HIV positive uh, and a battered woman and no need family units and everything discombobulated. And I don't want to be the focus. I'm supposed to be there, Carol and I, to minister to them. But I'm crying from the minute I leave my door to the church and saying, God, my heart is broken. My nerves are shot. I've screamed, begged, pleaded, tried to use money, reasoned, cried. And she's getting worse. She's not getting better. And how am I gonna minister? And we're starting other churches and renting Radio City Musical and starting new churches in, in the city and, and going to South America and Carol's writing songs and making albums, but nobody knows, A very few people know, that we're we're hanging by a thread, my friend, by a thread. And all the times I drove and cried out to God coming in and saying, God, please just get me through these three meetings. We have 11, 3.30, and 7.30 services each, about two hours long or more. And I'm just saying, God, please just get me through another Sunday. And God would just lift me, and I would have the grace to get through and minister to people, even though inside I was so, so just shaking. And I learned that when you pray, God comes. I learned that when you have no logical way to stand, God somehow when you pray, gives you fresh feet and a fresh foundation. We have a prayer band in our church. It's a more important ministry than the 240 Voice Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. There's a prayer band that not only prays through each service, about 20 of them pray through each service on Sunday while I'm preaching and ministering there in a room locked away praying, but now they pray for certain several years now, from two in the afternoon till six in the morning there's, in the church, there's people praying every seven days a week, two in the afternoon till six in the morning. If any of you have some need, you can just mail it to our church. Someone will pray for it at three in the morning. It's an amazing thing how God honors that. Well, they began to pray for me, and as God is my witness, I would sense myself at night sometimes, or shaving in the morning. I would feel God's grace just come underneath me and and begin to steady me and hold my emotions, and I hadn't even been thinking about God, and I would say, Lord, what is this that's just come into my life? Somebody's praying for you. Somebody's praying for you. These people would be praying for me. God bless them. Then my wife got ill, had to have a hysterectomy and the hormonal imbalance that she ended up with. My daughter's out of the house, the other two children, I'm doing the best I can. And now my wife is not talking just about leaving New York, which she wanted to, because the enemy had told her, fine, start your churches and influence people for Christ, but I'm gonna have all your children. I've got one and I'm coming for the other two. And my wife believed it and told me, You can leave with me or you can stay, but I'm leaving. Because he already has Chrissy, and I'm not losing my other two kids enough with this. We can't do this. The the atmosphere in the city New York is a miserable place to be. I'm not there because I like it. I'm there because God put me there. And, and, And then after the operation, she's talking about she doesn't feel any reason to live any longer. And and I mean, what do you do? Your wife is flipping out, your daughters, you're preaching, you're doing all of these things. I'm just telling you, oh, how wonderful it is to know that at the throne of grace, no matter what's happening, God can lift you and hold you. What a wonderful God. One November, after about two years had passed, Chrissy was awake. God and I got totally alone in Florida. And God spoke to me and said, I know you've been praying for Chrissy. The impressions I got were basically this. I don't want to sound mystical or sensational. I'm just going to tell you from my heart. No more talking to Chrissy and no more talking to anyone else and no more money and no more screaming and no more crying. Drop it. Just tell me. Let's make a covenant. You just tell me and I'll take care of it. And i told my wife i'm not going to see my daughter until she's right and that's my first child my wife kept in touch with her months went by christmas sad christmas who wants presents when your daughter's away on a february night in the prayer meeting my house shall be called the house of prayer we were all praying and calling on God and waiting on God. You know, nobody in charge, no choir, no speaker. Who needs it? You have Jesus. It's amazing how wonderful he is. And someone sent a note up to me, a woman, a young lady who hears, hears, who's sensitive to the Lord. And she sent a note up through an usher and the note said, I feel deeply impressed that we should stop the prayer meeting and pray for your daughter. I looked at the note, people were praying all around me. I looked at the note and said, God, is this really you? I don't wanna be the center of attraction. People have their own needs, but I felt impressed it was. I stopped the prayer meeting after a little while and everybody gathered together in that room, in that church and held hands, uh, over a thousand people probably that night. And and I call one of my associate pastors in the front, and he began to pray. And all I can tell you, and I don't know what your theology is, and it really doesn't matter, I'm just going to tell you what happened. You know where Paul said, said, I travail like a mother giving birth to Christ be formed on you? Well, I told the people, my daughter thinks up is down, and down is up, and she thinks light is dark, and dark is light. And unless God visits her and intervenes, my daughter is out there and 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 i'm gonna someone wants me to stop the meeting so you could pray my associate's gonna come he's gonna pray and suddenly it turned into a labor room you ever hear women when they're giving labor having labor it's not pleasant but it has some great results (laughs) and they began to pray i was overwhelmed by it i was as god as my witness i was overwhelmed by it i mean they began to pray as if they went to the throne of grace like and now, Satan, you will give up that girl. Jay, if you would just come. Let's sing, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. And they prayed. I came home. My wife wasn't there that night. And over a cup of coffee at night, I told her, Carol, it's over. She said, what's over? I said, It's over. If there's a God in heaven, what I just experienced tonight, it is over, finito, it's over. Just about a day later, I was shaving. And my wife burst into the bathroom and said, Chrissy's here. I said, Chrissy, I hadn't seen her in four months. Chrissy, and you better go down. I went down the steps and in the... Wiping off the shave cream and on the kitchen floor was my daughter on her knees. And then when I walked in the kitchen, she grabbed at my pants leg. She pulled it. She was weeping and she said, Daddy. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and mommy. Daddy, forgive me for being rebellious, etc. Daddy. Daddy, it's different, but Daddy, who was praying for me? Who was praying Tuesday night for me? Why, Chrissy, what happened? And she drew up to me. She said, in the middle of the night, God woke me up. And he showed me that I was heading toward a chasm, and it it had no bottom. But Daddy, even as he showed me that and showed me how off I was, he put his arms around me and he showed me that he loved me and he had a plan for my life. And Daddy, I I made it right with God. And I could tell by her face she was my daughter again, the one I had raised. Very soon God opened the door and for the next four years she directed the music program at a Bible school. She married a man of God. They're both in the ministry today. And God reminded me once again, my house shall be called a house of prayer because when you call, I will answer. And the hard cases that some of you are facing, I want to tell you now, it won't come from another seminar. Seminars have their limit. All they can do is be an arrow that gets you to the throne of grace. But when you get there, watch out. Because God can do exceedingly beyond what we ask or think. I'm not being emotional. I'm not being simplistic. But we have too many technicians now invading the church that are into methodology. The answer is not in methodology. The answer is in the power of the Holy Spirit. The answer is in the grace of God.
0: Ruthie and I met Chrissy. The story is true. And I want us to become a house of prayer for a moment. If you have a need and only God can meet that need, and you would like to be prayed for right now, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you need a fresh touch in your life for someone you know, you need God to move. You really need God to move. Just stand. If someone near you is standing, would you represent all of us and just circle them and put a hand on a shoulder? Just circle them, put a hand on a shoulder, everyone who's standing. Someone is with you. There's a lady right over here. Someone, hand on a shoulder. And I want to ask that someone in each group, God knows what the need is. Someone in each group, go ahead and pray out loud for that need. Pray for that person that you're standing next to. Just go ahead and lift them up to the Lord. Someone in each group, go ahead and do that. Father in heaven, hear these prayers. Crush Satan under the feet of those who stand. Honor the Son. Holy Spirit, be free to move in your time and in your way. But for your glory and our good, we, we give these to you. Encourage, and comfort, and strengthen the faith. The heart, everyone who is standing. And Lord, we need a fresh touch in our church. God help, we need a fresh movement of your spirit here. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say Amen. Amen. I want to ask the folks who are going to help us to serve communion, receive communion. If you would come and just begin to serve us, please.